Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. I need to do a huge shout out to those of you supporting the podcast over on Patreon. I literally can't do this without your help, so thank you so much. If you've been thinking about supporting, now is definitely the time. We've got some amazing things planned for the future that can't be done without your help. You can help by contributing as little as $1 a month. $5 a month gets you some bonus episodes and some other perks. I'm trying to make more and more perks available every day. Support today by visiting patreon.com slash fstop and listen. This is episode 59 with Kathleen Clemens. Kathleen is a macro slash flower photographer based out of the state of Maine. And uh, I thought it would be cool to have a nice change of pace on the podcast. I think a lot of people are like me. They have a lot of uh, questions and curiosity around macro. So if you find yourself wondering more about photographing flowers or doing macro, this is definitely an episode for you. Uh, thanks for tuning in and uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Well, Kathleen Clemens, thank you so much for coming on to F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I, uh, I am a little bit of a shame to admit that uh, I had not heard of you until another guest had mentioned you. And when I checked out your stuff, I was like, this is really cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I think you have a, a, a different perspective and something that's a bit unique that uh, we haven't really covered on the podcast before. So I thought it would be great to have you on. That sounds great. Well, cool. So maybe just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, like who you are, where you live, um, and uh, touch on how you got into photography. Sure. Um, I live in a really small town on the coast of Maine. I've lived in Maine all my life. Um, born here, went to college here, raised my family here. Uh, and um, I started uh, shooting basically, you know, when my kids were little, I had an automatic <laughs> you know, point and shoot and, and photograph them and really didn't uh, get into photography seriously until about 2003. Okay. Uh, I, um, I started off by actually shooting uh, sunrises on my front lawn. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky enough to live directly across from the world's only Cribstone Bridge. It connects Bailey Island uh, and uh, Ors Island. What is, a, what is a Cribstone Bridge? It's, it's made with slabs of granite that overlap so that the tide can flow through. Oh, okay. It's an cool. amazing, beautiful structure with a curve. You, um, I've got some photos of it with um, Arctic sea smoke in the winter on my website. So anyway, you know, I just, um, while my kids were asleep, uh, I could go, my husband's a lobsterman, so I'd get up early with him. And then I had a little time to myself, <laughs> which is a rare <laughs> thing when you've got three kids. Um, and so I started going, running outside and shooting the sunrise. And it was um, a really good thing to do because it taught me so much about the quality of light and how quickly it changes, you know, mm -hmm. both in, in terms of, of brightness and saturation and color tones and temperature. And it was a really good learning experience, but I was pretty much still on automatic. So I signed up for an online class because it worked with the busy life that I had. And um, I signed up for understanding exposure with Brian Peterson, who wrote the book by the same name. And, um, I had, you know, I had a good eye. I can draw, I can paint. Uh, I've done everything from stencil design to boutique to uh, macrame. You know, I've, I've done it all, but I really hadn't found my thing. And um, so I signed up for this class because I, you know, I, I 
had a good eye for composition, but I did not understand the technical. And he is a gifted teacher. And by the first lesson, it, he simplifies things really well. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and then when I discovered uh, selective focus, I found my thing. Mm. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about selective focus, because I think um, I personally don't think I've ever used selective focus. So t- tell us a little bit about like, <laughs> I know. So like, what, what is it? And like, how, how did it change your world? Sure. Um, selective focus is uh, using really shallow depth of field to draw the eye to one particular area in your photograph. And so with, you know, with that, you can say, look over here, you know, don't even think of looking over there because you can <laughs> cover that with blur. So it, um, once I, I found out that I could do that, I was fascinated. And, uh, you know, it, it really allowed me to sort of show the world the way that I see, because I don't see the big picture. I see small pieces. That's mm. why macro works so well for me. Um, I have a much harder time with, uh, straight lines and, you know, large landscapes. I can shoot landscapes as long as it's not in the city. <laughs> lines, I'm just, I, I have a real tough time with. I, you know, my friends and I went to Boston for a weekend shooting uh, for a day, sorry. And I came back, I found this amazing bird <laughs> that I shot. And then I, you know, we went into the subway and I shot um, long exposure blurs of people walking and the trains going. And so yeah. I, you know, I made it my own way. But generally, I see the small picture. So it's a perfect fit for me. So uh, do you have an explanation as to why you see that stuff over the grand landscapes? Because I think a lot of uh, landscape photographers are the opposite. And I'm always curious, like, why is it that um, some people are able to see like the smaller fine detailed scenes like all over the place and other people can't see them to save their life like me? I just think that's what makes us all interesting. You know, we just, we see in different ways. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) this is true. Any any personality aspect to it or, you know, it's just the way I see the world. Sometimes I wonder too, if it's like um, what like interests us when we, when we're out shooting. Cause I, I know I've noticed for myself anyway, that over the last probably three years, I've kind of made a gradual shift from like always shooting wide angle to doing a lot more like telephoto and smaller scene type stuff. So I I wonder if it's just one of those things like you get drawn to it over time or your interest kind of just gets stuck somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I have no idea. Um, You know, I go to Acadia every year and I shoot landscapes. I get up at oh dark 30 and put my headlamp on and you know go out and shoot landscapes too but it um you know once that that is done and while i'm waiting for my friends to finish i'm looking at patterns in the sand i'm you know i <laughs> i'm uh, i've just moved on to what makes me happy yeah well cool so let's let's dive a little bit deeper into that world of macro because um it's something that i you know i i've owned a few macro lenses over the years i've dabbled in it but I never it never really stuck with me for whatever reason I don't know if it's because I felt like I never could really get it figured out or if it if I lost interest in it so I'm curious like how does someone get started into macro photography and like what um what are some basic kind of I guess I don't want to say rules but like what are some things that people should really know before they get get going into it 
Sure. Um, you know, you don't really need a specialized lens. You just need something that will allow you to get close. And if you don't have that, you can add a set of extension tubes. You can shoot macro uh, with a 50 millimeter lens with a, a set of extension tubes, you know, and get in really, really close. I think the things that, um, that people need to realize is that the closer you get to your subject, the more depth of field is reduced. So, you know, if you're shooting at F8 from a good distance away, you're going to get a lot in focus. You know, if you put three extension tubes on, which is going to get you really, really close, you've reduced depth of field to um, a really super shallow plane of focus. So you have to take that into consideration when you start shooting macro, you know, F8 isn't F8 anymore, yeah. basically, <laughs> um, because you've, you know, you've gotten in closer and you've added a, a macro attachment. Even if you haven't added a macro attachment at any time you get in closer to your subject, you've reduced depth of field. So I think people will, um, be disappointed that they're not getting enough in focus because they don't realize that that is happening. So that's definitely something. Um, I also think that shooting macro uh, makes you slow down and really, really look at your subject. Um, you know, you've got to find something interest that's tiny. <laughs> so I think, I think that in general is going to make, anytime you slow down, it's going to make you a better photographer. You know, whether it's using a tripod uh, makes you slow down. Um, but I think uh, selective focus, definitely, because you have to decide what to highlight, in, you know, uh, how to draw the viewer's interest to it, you know, what you need to blur, what you want to include, what you don't want to include. And all of that takes time. And I think sometimes people lose patience with macro photography because it's it's hard. You know, you've, you've got to slow down. You've really got to pay attention. So, yeah. One of the things I was curious about was when you're composing um, those shot, shots like that, how do you think about light differently? Because I know, you know, like when you're in the studio doing macro, there's obviously you probably have a lot more control over um, how you use light and using flash and things like that. But what about when you're in the field? Yeah, I use only natural light. I don't use a ring flash or if I need extra light, I use a reflector Okay. and a little bit of light into my subject. But um, I, uh, I, I don't use any additional lighting. And yeah, it definitely uh, makes you pay attention to light for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So what are some of your um, favorite subjects to, to do macro work on? Well, you might have noticed I shoot a lot of flowers. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I had no intention of becoming a flower photographer. I mean, I shoot other things. I do portraits. I do landscapes. But I'm preliminary. <laughs> sorry. But I'm uh, primarily known for my flower work, and it, it sort of happened accidentally. Um, when I uh, I started out in photography after I took that first class with Brian, uh, I signed up for a second one that he was doing on marketing, and you had to choose one subject and shoot it for six weeks. And um, I ended up in the hospital with a kidney stone that wouldn't pass in the first week of class. So I, I missed most of the class, got out of the hospital, and it was February in Maine, and I had to choose a subject to shoot for six weeks. And my husband had bought me roses in the hospital. Huh. So I shot the roses, and um, I'm attracted to line and curves, mostly curved lines and color in my work. And flowers are all about line, shape color and texture. So I, you know, knocked two right off right there um, with the curved lines. And, and the more I experimented with them, the more I fell in love with them. And before the six week class was over, I had signed with chromosome images in Amsterdam for my flower photos. So it's sort of, I sort of fell into it. 
Wow. So um, tell me a little bit, a bit more about uh, this Amsterdam thing. Um, well, I, I don't think that it's in existence anymore. Okay. So that, that company, you know, um, stock has changed a lot since uh, I started shooting. So uh, uh, it's, it's not an area that I um, do a whole lot of anymore, let's say. <laughs> it's not real profitable so, for but me. But they were, essentially, they were paying you to take photos of flowers for them? Is that? Sorry. Yeah, they, um, it was a card company, oh. Cards and Posters. Okay, cool. So one of the things um, I always try to talk about a little bit with folks is, um, you know, monetization and the business aspect of photography. And it, it sounds like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, it sounds like you kind of do photography full time now. Uh, yeah. So as someone who's very specialized in macro and, and flower work, how, what are your pathways to monetization and how did you arrive there? Well, there's uh, there there's print work, and um, some of my uh, work still goes to stock. And um, people find me like I was recently contacted by an agency in Boston that was um, had a client uh, of a hospital putting in a children and uh, a sorry maternity wing, and uh, they licensed um, a lot of my photos for the wall size photos. So things, you know, my, my name is out there now. So I have, I get a lot of people contacting me for that sort of thing and a little bit of assignment work and, uh, and teaching and uh, workshops and uh, photo sales. Basically that's, um, that's pretty much my photo income teaching online. Um, I've done classes for creative live as well as craftsy and that, uh, adds to that too. Cool. So sounds like, like most people, you have a very diverse <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. income model. <laughs> I think you have to. Yeah. <laughs> I think you have to. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I think, and it's getting harder and harder every day. I feel like, although I talk to people every day that feel very um, optimistic about, about it. Um, I think last week I was talking to Colby Brown and he was super optimistic about where things are heading in the photogra photography world. And, um, but I talked to a lot of people that feel the other way around. So wh how, where do you kind of land in that spectrum of optimism versus, uh, I don't want to say pessimism, but. Right. Well, I I'm doing right now and uh, well right now. And if things stay the way they are, I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> Simple enough. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, one of the things that uh, I'd also noticed um, kind of relating to that monetization aspect and um, also with uh, the flower scenes that you shoot is that you add a lot of textures to your to your images. Um, and I was hoping you could talk a little bit about what that even means, um, why you do it, how you do it, um, and uh if if once we get through that maybe talk a little bit about how you create your own textures that you are distributing out there for people to use on their work sure um i don't use textures on on all of my photos and it's probably gosh um i i'd say less than a third um of the work that i do and um i i use them when i feel like um the background, mostly with flowers, uh, when the background needs a little something, um, you know, if, if it's a full frame flower, I, I certainly don't do that. But if I want to, um, 
neutralize a background that might have a lot of contrast in it, lights and darks, and tone that down. I still want the shapes, but I don't want them to be as strong in terms of contrast. Then I'll use a texture. Or if the background is just kind of bland, um, like I have some small flowers growing in um, in my back garden. They come up really early in the spring, so the background is dirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, you know, so then I, I might add a texture to add a little color to that dirt, to, you know, to tone it down, make it a little more interesting. Um, and uh, I, I, for flowers, the only rule I really have is that I don't add anything with strong line because I said line is a, is a component of what makes flowers an interesting subject mm-hmm. for me. So I don't do that. Um, and I add them in Photoshop or as a layer very simple to do as a layer and mask the texture off the subject or wherever I don't want it. Uh, or I invert it and only add the texture where I do want it. Or I print them out on matte paper and sometimes place them behind my subject. Um, I broke my ankle four weeks ago. And so the only shooting I could do was in the house, which makes backgrounds tough uh, with <laughs> right. flowers. Yeah. So I had some um, textures from my, one, a few of my collections printed that I printed on matte paper in 11 by uh, 17. And I could, you know, that's a good size texture and place that behind my subject and shoot right on my kitchen table with natural light. So uh, they can really, really be a blessing. And as far as how to make them, I mean, textures are everywhere. I just came back from teaching at Santa Fe. I did uh, two workshops back to back there. And I encouraged my students to run out and make texture shots from the stucco walls you know the the textures of santa fe are amazing um and it's as simple as that if you really look around you know there are textures everywhere so it's not it's not a tough thing and then sometimes i add color to them and i take them into photoshop and add a bunch of layers and probably couldn't replicate it if i tried in a particular texture um and play around with them and um i do a lot of testing of them and when i I'll end up with like 50 ready for a new collection. And I narrow that down to nine by testing them with a lot of different subjects to be sure that they're versatile enough to make it worth people's money. And I want to keep my collections down to a small size so that it doesn't cost a lot to add a texture. And I wrote a book on uh, my only ebook so far. I have another one in the works, but um, that's not, that's far from ready on photographing flowers. But the one that I have written is uh, called all about textures and it's a 60 page ebook that with, uh, five videos for my video learners, people learn better by watching me actually do things in Photoshop. Uh, yeah. So it's, um, it's been a, a lot of fun for me to, um, to teach that. And, uh, you know, it, it's one way to simplify a, a background that it is just hopeless, <laughs> with a flower, you know, it, not everything is pretty back there. And and a texture can, you know, when you can't get in closer, you can't change angles, you know, I try all that first, but sometimes a texture can save the day for me. So I'm curious, like when you're using it in, in post-processing, um, so you've, I'm just kind of envisioning, like you take a, a, a macro shot of a flower and then, you know, you've got like a really busy background with, you know, lots of light and dark and weird shapes and stuff like that. So how do you, are you basically just um, based on the areas of the background that are messy (laughs) for lack of a better word, are you basically just increasing the opacity of the texture layer or are you trying to make it a little bit more uniform behind the subject or like, how do you determine uh, how much of the texture to, put in there. Sure. 
well, you know, the texture is just an image. So I'm dragging it onto my original and reducing the opacity in the layers palette just so that I can see it. <laughs> and then, um, you know, and then only looking at the background and setting an opacity that I like. But then when I'm masking, I don't mask at 100%. I don't erase. And I, I'm masking different areas at different okay. opacities. You don't want the flower to look like it's stuck, you know, pasted on a background. I hate that. I see it. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm taking the most texture off the areas of selective focus. And then from that area out, I'm using a lesser and lesser opacity until I get to the edges where it might be 15% or I leave a little bit on the edges. Okay. That makes, that makes a lot more sense to me now. Okay. Yeah. And then how do you determine uh, <laughs> which texture you want to use? That is an excellent question, and I get asked that a lot. It really comes down to personal taste, but I was working with students just last week, uh, sh shooting with the, um, the textures behind our subjects, and I, I taught them a, a lot about choosing textures by color in that if you have... Um, I was using with a very, I was using a very painterly texture that had yellow and green and uh, warm oranges, and showing them how then you know that would work really well with a, a warm colored subject, a yellow subject, a green subject. If if the the background has a little bit of your subject's color in it, it will really pull that out of the background. So you know, a lot of times I'm looking for a contrasting color or a complementary color. It's really personal taste, and the more you use textures, the more you get a better sense of what works with what. But you still will end up with your favorites mm -hmm. that you use over and over again. You know, really versatile textures that you just love. I love a texture that has strong brush strokes to it. Uh, so I think that's because I used to paint. Um, and I think it makes a, a beautiful background and I keep my opacities pretty low so that, you know, I don't want the texture to become a secondary subject. I want it to enhance my subject, make the background better, but not become a secondary subject on its own. I'm really curious about, I've used textures a little bit, but not from like a, I, I used it as more of like an overlay for the whole image just to like, I don't know, like soften I've, I've done it like just a couple yeah. of times on, and it was on flower images. I don't even know how I <laughs> thought of doing it. Maybe I saw one of your photos. and I was like, that's kind of cool. I want to try that. The, the only problem with doing that is it flattens the subject into the background. Yeah, that's what I've, that's, <laughs> I've seen that. Like when I went back and looked at some of those yeah. shots that I did, I was like, oh yeah, it kind of looks flat. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so when you're, I know you already kind of answered this question a little bit, but I'm, I'm kind of curious too, like um, you talked a lot about the, the color selection for textures, but um, how do you, how do you make a determination on like the pattern or the, the shapes um, and lines and things like that, that are in the texture that you're using? Because um, flowers are about line. I'm definitely avoiding those. I go for a more subtle all over pattern more other than, you know, not a strong grungy look with a lot of lines and dark areas. Um, uh, a, a painterly brushstroke look is my very favorite, you know, or something really, really subtle. I actually have one of rust that I took that if I overlay it on a landscape, it looks like snow. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, wow. So, you know, sometimes you get a surprise, but, but that is an all over really even. It was a large plate, um, uh, not dinner plate, <laughs> metal plate that was flat. Uh, so I could, um, I could get an all over uh, texture from that. And um, that's turned out to be really versatile for my winter work. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I, yeah. 
So I bet it's kind of a lot of fun to just experiment with different textures to see what accentuates your subject, huh? Yeah, it really is. You know, I, I don't do anything in Photoshop that's especially technical. I, I'd rather be out taking more photos, you know. So any anything that I do is really simple, easy to do. And my lens baby images rarely need any post-processing. Uh, you know, what you see is basically right out of the camera. So, you know, it is fun to, uh, but they, what they also do with that large amount of blur is lay down a really nice surface to add a texture to in the background. So I do that sometimes, but not all the time. Mm-hmm. And how have you, this is, this is a weird question, but okay. how have you found um, the market for that type of photography? Like, is there a lot of interest in um, kind of that mixed media look and feel out there in the marketplace? Yeah. Yeah. I have found, I have found that there definitely is, or I would stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. There's some people like me that probably like if, if there was no longer a market, well, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is take photos to make a bunch of money. Cause I, if I did that, I'd be, I would have quit right. a long time right. ago. <laughs> I, I, I was just basically kidding. You know, I, at, no, this point, I know. at my age, uh, I shoot for myself. The, the sure. first person that my work has to please is me and basically the only person. I don't do competitions. You know, I don't enter contests. Um, I, I'm I'm really happy with the images that I'm creating now. I think the, the longer you shoot, the better you get. And the more you see, um, I think my images are, are, the older I get, the stronger they are because there's more more life in them more experiences. I, I definitely believe that, uh, that I couldn't be doing what I'm doing now at 20. You know, I didn't start until my forties. Um, but the work, the work just keeps getting stronger and that holds my interest in, mm-hmm. I, I have to see uh, flowers in a, in a different way all the time, or I get bored. You know, how many times can you shoot a rose? So I, I have to find things that keep me interested, you know, and, and adding the textured backgrounds is one of those things that, that um, keeps me curious, keeps me wanting to try more, you know, make more textures, see more, uh, try different things. I've just started teaching myself how to use Photoshop brushes, hmm. uh, which is a whole new thing. <laughs> I've got to find myself a good tutorial because I've just been playing around with it. I have a lot of students asking me uh how to do that. And, um, and I don't feel qualified at this point to teach it. So I've been working on that. Yeah, that's that whole topic of um, keeping it interesting is uh, fascinating to me as well. Because um, I mean, you've been doing photography a lot longer than I have, but I have personally, and I, I'm, I'm sure there's other people out there that feel this way too, although maybe not, I don't know that uh, I go through these ruts where like, I just don't really have a whole lot of interest in going out and taking pictures. And then um, I don't know, I'll see something or something. I'll think about a place or a type of scene that uh, I want to shoot. And then all of a sudden I'll get interested again. How do you, how do you keep it interesting other than look the texture overlays and things like that when you're shooting such a, um, well, I don't, I guess the word I would use is a specialized or homogenous subject, like yeah. f- flowers. Definitely. Um, uh, there are some flowers that I sort of avoid now because they all look the same, you know, like a daffodil. Mm-hmm. You've seen one daffodil. You've seen, well, I know they come in, flower people don't yell at me, but, you know, I know <laughs> they come in shades and they're a little bit different, but, 
but basically um, form wise, they all look the same. So I am always drawn to flowers that have a little personality. They have an errant petal. They have, you know, a shape that doesn't follow the rules. They're not the perfect flower. Mm-hmm. That's what keeps me interested. And I see a lot of human qualities in flowers. I see a dance. I see individuality. You know, you, you've got a, a field of daisies and you've got, you know, one uh, orange poppy. That's my subject, you know, surrounded by daisies. So I'm always looking for what what makes my subject stand out, what makes it different. And that's what keeps me interested. I love it. Um, well, you, you had mentioned earlier uh, about lens baby lenses. And uh, I actually used to live about three or four blocks away from uh, where they, at least I think where they're headquartered in Portland. Yes. Um, Because I used to walk by. Yeah. (laughs) I used to walk by there all the time. Um, What is it about Lens Baby uh, that that you like and what what do those lenses bring uh, to the work that you're doing? Sure. First of all, you should have stopped in because they are amazingly nice people. <laughs> your walk by. Yeah, they are, they are awesome. Um, I discovered Lens Baby in 2004. I was uh, taking a workshop with Tony Sweet, uh, nature photographer, and uh, and there was a woman who was just, you know, I was dragging my tripod through the woods of New Hampshire. It rained the whole time. And she was just kind of flitting around, hand-holding um, with this funky little lens. And uh, and I said to Tony, you know, how come she's not using a tripod? And he said, well, she's using a lens, baby. And that piqued my interest. And But then when we shared our work at the end of the day, and I saw how a lens baby, at that time, it, it was... Um, you know, a much smaller company with um, not the amount of lenses that they have now, but it was only a selective focus at the time. And, and that's that, you know, that fit me perfectly because that's, that's what I love. And I felt like the, the lens baby gave me my voice. It let me show the world the way that I see. And I still feel that. And they are um, my favorite, favorite lenses to shoot with. Uh, you know, and, and now it's turned into this, um, they have a larger assortment, you know, they have the optic swap system where you get, you buy one lens and you can pop different optics in and out for different effects, different focal lengths. And they also make straight lenses now. And, uh, I'm, um, I'm proud to, uh, to spread the gospel of lens baby, you know, I, because I believe in it and I use it and I only do that with, um, with things that I use every day and that I, I firmly believe in. Um, and I can't show you how I do what I do at this point without talking about lens baby. What is it about, uh, those lenses that, um, makes it possible to do what you do? Um, often I like to, to say that, um, my preference for shooting is to dance on the edge of getting as little in focus as I can get away with and still capture the essence of my subject. Mm. And, uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll go to a garden and say, all right, it's a wide open lens baby kind of day. And, you know, just shoot everything at uh, F2, 2.8. But that's tricky, yeah. <laughs> you know, to be able to do that. Um, and I, I love that challenge. And, and those are the images that make me the happiest. You know, when I get back and look at, um, I, I'm not interested in shooting anything at, well, not anything, landscapes at F16, F22, fine, but not a flower. Um, and uh, and I love the challenge of Lens Baby. I do beta testing for them, and there's nothing I like better because I'm shooting a subject with something that no one has ever used to shoot that subject. You know, and, and there's the challenge again. You know, I've got to master something new. I've got to produce images that let people see what, what this lens can do. And um, like I said, that's nothing I love 
well, not nothing, but it's one of the things that I love most to do. Um, that those lenses just allow me to do what I do. You know, the, the work that you're seeing of mine, it's almost always lens baby. I, I do shoot um, some flowers with a 180 millimeter lens. Um, that will be if I can't get close, like if the um, it's a pond lily, I can't put waders on and jump in the pond and get close without getting arrested. Uh, so, you know, or if I'm doing a technique called shooting through where you put some foreground foliage up against the lens for a soft veil of color, or if I'm in a public garden and I cannot get close to my subject, you know, you can't step in the beds, you can't put a tripod in the beds. Other than that, I'm using a lens baby. So one of the things I always struggle with when I'm shooting um, a subject at a shallow depth of field is determining uh, which part of the subject I want to uh, keep in focus. And I know um, I've I actually have used the lens baby once before, just like a friend of mine had one and I played around with it for a couple hours. And if I'm remembering correctly, <clears throat> I'm sure that not all their lenses are this way, but you can kind of control like, and I guess this is kind of like that selective focus thing. Like you can actually make it to where, the only the middle third of the image or whatever, either horizontally or vertically is in focus and the rest of it is, is blurred. So like, how do you, how, what is the compositional, how does it change the way you compose an image when you have a lens that does it that way? Sure. Um, you're talking about the um, optic swap system where those are the selective focus optics that you just, you know, my favorite one is the lens baby sweep 50. There's also a sweep 35, which is 35 millimeter, you know, it that's focal length. But what the, what those optics have is an area in the center um, of sharpness surrounded by blur and you control the size of that spot with your aperture. But what makes those lenses unique is that you can tilt them. So you're changing the plane of focus. It's no longer a flat plane. Mm -hmm. You know, you can move that sweet spot of focus anywhere you want in the frame. And what that do, what that, sorry, what that does is distort the background. So it's not flat blur. It's distorted and it's directional. You know, you've, I, I stretch out the edges of petals and leaves and things in the background. So it creates a totally different look than if I shoot with a straight lens. So it's, um, it's, it's amazing. And, and, um, I, I love the effect and I love the look of my lens baby photos. You know, they make straight lenses that don't do that. They also make the edge series that creates a slice of focus instead of a sweet spot of focus. That's great for linear subjects. Um, great for street photography, uh, street scenes, you know, anything with strong lines and you can change the direction of that line anywhere you want with a tilt which is really fun to play with. But the ones that I use for flowers are these, these sweet um, series of optics. Yeah. So it almost, I'm just kind of envisioning what that would look like in the frame. And it almost sounds like it, it renders your subject in a more three dimensional uh, way. Like you can kind of push the edges in, in different uh, planes of view that allow you to make something that's maybe in, inch apart depth of field wise, all be in focus um, across a certain plane. Right. And so that works extremely well for selective focus because I can change the angle of the lens on the area that I want in focus. Yeah. That sounds, sounds like if you have one of those, like you're kind of your creative, creative levels of like what you can play with is almost infinite. 
Exactly, exactly. And that's, you know, that's why I, I love it. And, uh, you know, I still go back to the older optics that they had in the beginning now and then, you know, you mentioned before, you know, what do you do when you're in a rut? I'll put an older optic on and go out and, and it just makes me see things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the beginning, they had one called the double glass, the single glass, the plastic, the soft focus, you know, I'll put one of those on or an older style lens baby on and that just um, gets me going again. Or I put a wide angle on, which is <laughs> like torture for me. <laughs> and uh, and that really makes me work a little harder <laughs> to uh, to see. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, cool. So what do you got uh, coming up? Like, tell me a little bit about these um, Santa Fe workshops that you've been doing. Yeah, I, um, I just finished two, um, which was a challenge with a broken ankle, but uh, it all worked. <laughs> it all worked. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my first one sold out really quickly. So they added a second one that also sold out. So um, I'm already scheduled for next year for the first 10 days in May. I'll be back there doing two more. Um, so uh, and Santa Fe is so different than Maine. It's I, I do love it. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful place to go. And uh, I teach um, also online still at the Brian Peterson School of Photography. I teach for a monthly online classes, not every month anymore, especially not when I'm traveling a lot and away because um, I I don't have time to attend to those. So uh, details of those are on my website. Um, Teaching for uh, the Madeline Island School of Art for the first time um, with a workshop that starts next, not this Saturday, the week after. So I'll be heading out again. But uh, then I do some workshops on my own as well. Uh, and with a, a fellow photographer called Donna Eaton, we have workshops called Flower Dance Photography Workshops, which are all for all about flowers that we do in um, three or four different locations across the country. So uh, lots of teaching for me. Awesome. Well, I have two more questions for you. Um, the first question is, uh, you know, based on the name of the podcast, F Stop, Collaborate and Listen, what advice would you have for other photographers? Wow. <laughs> Um, I think, um, uh, my advice would be, first of all, um, learn to use your equipment, know your equipment and, uh, and learn the technical because that frees you to concentrate on the creative part of your photography. You know, it it seems I I teach a lot of beginners and, and in the beginning, there's just so much to remember, you know, they're worried about their white balance and they're worried about their F stop and they're, you know, trying to be sure that they have a fast enough shutter speed. And, um, they're not sure where all the controls on, on their camera, you know, how to use exposure compensation and that sort of thing. But if you, you learn all that and you, you you nail it, you know, your equipment, then that all becomes intuitive and you can concentrate on what you're seeing and how best to capture it. Yeah, absolutely. I th- I feel like <clears throat> once I got to a place where I that's actually what drew me to shooting night photography because you know, once you master your camera and you can use it in the dark, you can pretty much right. use <laughs> it anywhere. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, that, no, I think that's I think that's I mean it's simple advice, but I think it's really important that you master your camera and in all the technical aspects cuz I think like you said the more that stuff just comes naturally, it frees you to focus your brain power on the more important aspects like composition and, and the creative things. So I think that's awesome. Right. I had um, someone ask me once, uh, a student on a workshop, and asked, what goes through your head when you're taking a photo? <laughs> and I stopped and, and I thought and I looked at him and said, absolutely nothing. And I felt really bad about it at the time because... <laughs> was expecting this profound answer 
And, and I was being totally honest because when I'm looking through my viewfinder, it's me and that subject and there, there's no conscious thought. You know, it's, it's all what I'm seeing and, the, and I don't have to think about the technical because I know it, mm-hmm. you know, I know my equipment and there's just, you know, me and, and that subject and how I'm going to capture the essence of it. So, um, yeah, I, I felt kind of bad, but I was being honest. That's so funny. I don't think I would ever answer that way. Not, not because it's a bad answer. It's just because, yeah. uh, there's always like lots of stuff going through my head, but I think that's super interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, there was nothing I could tell him that I always think about. Nope. That's cool. <laughs> All right. Well, last question is, um, who would you like to hear on the podcast? Oh, um, the first uh, name that pops into mind is my friend, Cynthia Haynes. Um, Cynthia is a photographer and writer, and she um, helped me to edit my ebook. Um, she also does that, but her long exposure camera movement work is breathtaking. Um, you know, Google her people, <laughs> Cynthia Haynes, H-A-Y-N-E-S. Um, her work is fabulous. And, um, and I think that, um, she'd be wonderful for your podcast. Um, two more people that come to mind. One is Jennifer Spellman. Um, I was lucky enough to meet her in Santa Fe, uh, and, uh, and had dinner with her and she's an amazing travel photographer. And um, she does a, a lot of um, workshops in Cuba and a lot um, for Santa Fe. And uh, she's fabulous and she's a lot of fun. And the other person is a more local photographer, um, my friend Mark Stevens. He lives in um, New Hampshire and uh, his, he's an all around amazing photographer. Uh, but he has been spending more and more time in Cuba. Uh, over the last couple of years, and it's become a really strong focus in his work. And he captures the people of Cuba in a wonderful, wonderful way. That's cool. That's so that's, that's definitely a, a, a skill that I do not possess. Yeah, you know, I mean, Which his landscapes are, his landscapes are amazing, but but he knows the people now, and it shows. And that shows in his work. He tells the stories and he has a blog where um, he tells a lot of, of stories about life in Cuba, things that I had no idea uh, about. So um, definitely he'd be, he would be wonderful for your podcast. Awesome. Well, thanks for those. Uh, those are all new recommendations. So I really, really appreciate that. Um, wow. Well, thanks so much for sharing your, your macro wisdom with <laughs> us and your texture stuff. I think, uh, like I said before, those are areas that I think a lot of people um, probably haven't uh, either, especially the more traditional kind of landscape photographers that uh, we talk more to on the podcast. I think um, I think it's cool to have a different style and and specialization. Sure. So I super appreciate you coming on the podcast to talk about it. Thanks to Kathleen for taking time to visit with us on the podcast. Uh, To find out more about Kathleen and see more of her amazing work, visit KathleenClemensPhotography.com. You'll find links to topics we discussed and more in the show notes on my blog at www.MappingPhotography.com. And just a reminder, um, you can help support us by writing a review about the podcast in the iTunes store. Um, As people search for podcasts to listen to, it helps people uh, discover the podcast and... uh, helps me grow the audience and uh, all good things will come to all of us. So thanks for everyone who's doing that. And lastly, um, 
Uh, don't forget to support us on Patreon. Uh, for as little as a dollar, you can help pay for the production costs and improve the podcast. And for $5 a month and higher, you can gain access to bonus episodes. Uh, for example, this week on Patreon, Kathleen and I discuss the best practices for flower photography. Um, if you want to drop me a line about the podcast, either suggestions or ideas, or I'm actually looking for some feedback on a on multi-guest uh, format where we kind of maybe do like an argument or a discussion or a debate about a photography topic. If you have an idea about that and who maybe would be good to represent different sides, uh, let, let me know. Um, you can send me a note on my website at www.mappainphotography.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>